so uh, I'm back. With I'm back what? on my bullshit. Backstreet's back. Seltzer's back. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm, you I'm back have, for seltzers. You have some hard seltzers. I'm, I'm here. starting. I'm starting hot with our alcohol tonight. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, honestly, okay, so this is strawberry kiwi, and that sounds fucking disgusting to me. It's tasty, but that's why I was like, I grabbed it, I'm like, fuck, Ashley's not going to like no. this. I don't know why that's one I grabbed. You'd actually probably really like the raspberry lime was quite... Yeah, raspberry lime is up my alley, but strawberry... Yeah, I fucked um, up. I love strawberries, but I do strawberry not love flavoring. strawberry flavor things. That makes yeah. me want to barf. That's fair. It can be icky. You can fuck it up real quick. At least it's not banana. We don't talk about banana here. We don't do banana yeah. here at Rock Banana Candy doesn't happen. Fuck off with your fucking bananas. Yeah. We don't fucking do that. Yeah. It's disgusting. But I I was over the seltzers. I was over the seltzer craze. You because know what? the only seltzers ago? we had were truly in White Claw and they were disgusting. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where after a while you're like, oh, these are kind of gross tongue sweaters in a can actually truly i never really liked that much i always was kind of down with the white claw i would i would break the laws with the claws yeah white claw white claw is a step up from truly and you know what i will still fuck with a mango white claw oh yeah the mango is the best one yeah mango anything is like all right i'll fuck with i have had uh uh truly what the iced tea thing oh Holy fuck, that was disgusting. That was really gross. That was a mistake. That was so bad. But the point is, yeah, so now Craft Booies uh-huh. are making seltzers. Yeah. And they fucking know what they're doing. It no longer tastes like vodka mixed with fruit. I mean, I like vodka mixed with fruit, but there was something about these seltzers <laughs> that was just like, what did you do? How did you, how did you take these ingredients and end up with this shit? In a can. So, yeah, exactly. And they would mix it with sucralose, which that's a big that's, no-no no, in my why life. Why would you do that? Because I want people to suffer. So, first it started with Single Cut and their Trip Seltzer. Mm-hmm. And I had some and I'm like, sweet wounded Wait, Jesus. Wait, that is Single Cut? That's Single Cut. Well, slap me and call me a liar you're a liar because (laughs) i have not liked anything that single cut has ever done also i just don't like them i know you don't i like them they're nice and they're fine you've only met the people that are up here that are from here okay fine i like single (laughs) cut north yeah there you go yes but yeah like it started with them their trip seltzers i'm like this tastes like like a mixed drink in a good way, and in, in like the best kind of way, this it's tastes nice like subtle. nobody's dicking me around. It tastes like nobody stick their dick in it. Yeah. And then now I've got night shift, which I went to over the weekend. Lovely bluey. It's one of the few things you got going for you, Boston. We've had one or two of their oh years yeah. for this, and show. I've I've and yet they have to been be disappointed. Delightful. Yeah. They always do a good job, so I should not be surprised that their hard seltzer, fan fucking tastic. Well, good. For- I'm really into it. I know it's like only 4%, but somebody like for me that works or if you're a person who kind of just likes to dabble, like you want something that you can throw in the back of a floatable unicorn in a lake, this is your fucking seltzer. Yeah. And it's only 90 calories. There's no sugar, but there's no fake sugar in it either. And it's gluten free. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with and it's called hoot. Because it's a who. Because it's a who, and they have an owl for their little logo. Yeah. So because the owl is their logo. Yeah. So um, I'm back. I'm back, baby. I'm back <laughs> for it. 
I mean, that's like just one of the things I'm drinking tonight. The main thing I am drinking is from Hermit's Rush Brewery. I love them. Which is an actual beer called Party Jam Blackberry. Kettle Soured Wild Ale with Blackberry. It's delicious. So we're talking about party jams. Yeah, we're talking about party jams and also... And I'm drinking... Talking about a star. A cider called Citra Star. Yeah. Get it? Like, Superstar? See, I I didn't... I didn't... I wouldn't... I didn't get it from that. But yeah, Superstar. Superstars with party jams. Yeah, we're... That's what Annie Lennox is. Annie Lennox is a superstar with party jams. So... Six degrees of beer. <laughs> we haven't introduced ourselves yet. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, what? Huh? <laughs> Want to do that again? Yeah. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. <laughs> Your podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music. And we got part two of Annie Lennox coming on. Indeed. Hot and ready. Like so a hot, little Caesar's so pizza. We're your hosts <laughs> delivering it. For you kids tonight, I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we will not be 30 minutes late because we're going to give you the story analytics right now. 30 minutes late? Rem- oh, no, 30 minutes or less, right? That's the oh. thing. Like, <laughs> no, if you it's deliver always it 30, 30 minutes, minutes late. <laughs> Little Caesars, pizza, pizza, always 30 minutes late. <laughs> I fucked that up. Yes. It is, if you have within 30 minutes to get your pizza. Or else it's free. If you don't get there in 30 minutes, <laughs> it's free. It's free. <laughs> also, it's cold. And, yeah, I mean, like, nobody wants to eat cold Little Caesars. Oh, Trust God. me. All right, well, on that note. Yeah, let's just fucking dive in. I just, it's we're coming in hot and ready. All we're right. coming, oh, you know what, we're coming. Is it good? Well, it's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> we're just talking about pizza tonight. All right. So, yeah, last week we left off in early 1984 with Annie's impromptu marriage to Radha Rahman, yes. a Hare Krishna monk that the Eurythmics entourage collectively rolled their eyes at. I, understandably. The marriage came in the midst of Annie and Dave's worldwide tour promoting the, their third album, Touch. Touch. You got the power. Yeah. The couple hadn't consulted anyone before marrying. Save for Annie's parents. Tom Tom and Dorothy Lennox predictably did not approve. Oh, yeah. But they got married anyway. A heated argument ensued, which caused Annie and her father to not speak for years afterwards. No shit. I thought she... Well, no. You know what? Yeah. They had a good relationship. That should be a fucking red flag. If your relationships are strained because of your significant other, when, like, for most of your life, they've been yeah. pretty fine. That tells you everything you need to know about that person. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, Annie and her dad always kind of had a hot, cold relationship. Because he was really strict when she was young. Right. She always wanted to rebel against him. So there was always friction. She was much closer to her mom. Mm-hmm. But she still loved her dad. Right. You know, they were still, you know, a tight family despite that. Yeah. I mean, it was really just because he was a communist and she's like, fuck you. I am going to participate in all the capitalism. <laughs> and he's like, Annie, no. I'm going to make all the money. God damn kids making all the money. <laughs> How dare she be successful? <laughs> While Annie got deeper and deeper into vegetarianism the wider mysti- and the wider mystical beliefs of the Hare Krishna, the press were clamoring for even the tiniest morsel of information on the couple. I mean, I'll give her this. Like, you know what? Like, the, the, the meditation and the vegetarianism, that's fine. Yeah. It's just, you don't have to marry the dude to do this stuff. You know that, right? Like, you don't have to marry the monk. No. 
Also, there's like weird connections to the Hare Krishna movement mm. that are like a little rapey. Super, yeah, little pretty, rapey. pretty culty, pretty rapey, you know. Yeah. And it's not good. Not great. Not a cute so, look. No, definitely not. But also, I get it. It's the early 80s. They probably didn't really know at that point. I'm pretty sure they knew. But I think, okay. But I also think that was it was in the United States, not entirely in the UK. Mm, uh, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Beatles left because uh, he was touching the women, the women inappropriately, but what do I know? That's true. And she also went to George Harrison's Hare Krishna, like temple or whatever the fuck mm. it was that he had in england she went there to meditate well i think she only out of went all like the beatles once. he was the one who was like no i'm really into this <laughs> everybody else is like it's not like she's hanging out with ringo who's like couldn't any of the food made me real sick <laughs> my stomach's real sensitive they like a lot of lentils mm, i just picture the Hare krishna eating just lentils all the time we i talked don't know about why. this last time and it sounds delicious <laughs> no oh we did talk about it last we time did. i can't get off the lentils i, I can't do it love lentils. anyway they stayed private and thankfully so because if anyone had gotten a whiff of their private interactions they would have torn them apart no shit Still, the two bought a house in a small remote town in the Swiss Alps and began their lives together. Annie didn't stay long, going back out to promote the band at the height of their popularity. As you would. This even included a trip to the Saratoga race course <gasps> in Saratoga, New York, where they presented a trophy to a jockey and his horse named Eurythmics. Oh, that's that sweet. Oh, so I hate lo- horse racing, I, me but too. I love this story. But it was such a nice morsel of local history and, to us. And also, I love that there's a jockey and his horse is named Eurythmics. Adorable. I'm All sure right. that 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 horse is long dead at this point. I'm sure they put him down once he retired from racing. So. Oh, yeah. The minute he was no longer yeah, useful. The they just minute took him he was no pasture. longer a money maker, they fucking shot him. So, yeah. I mean, we probably used the glue that came from him in our school projects. It's fine. I'm sure I glued construction paper to popsicle sticks with the blood of Eurythmics. <laughs> while while listening to Sweet Dreams yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. God, that's a dark picture. God. <laughs> My so ch- cyclical. Our childhoods were dark, man. <laughs> yeah, we grew up with never-ending story. Shit's never going to yeah. be right with us. We will never recover from our attacks. No. Ever. No. That's why we're all fucked up. Mm-hmm. Annie expected to come back home to the Swiss Alps to a life of wedded bliss, but that wasn't the case. You don't say. (laughs) Kel surprise. (laughs) Truth was, Annie and Radha barely knew each other. And even worse, no one liked him. Of course they didn't know each other. They dated for a month. Yeah, not even. It was like a few weeks, I think. Oh, for fuck's sake. She knew a bit about his religion and was keen to incorporate some of it into her life, especially the parts about vegetarian vegetarianism and eschewing materialism. Mm-hmm. However, she never wanted to become a devotee. Right. Radha's religion wasn't conducive to wives that loudly and widely promote feminism. So Annie wasn't exactly popular amongst his congregation. And while the Hare Krishnas usually practice abstinence, Lo and behold, Radha had an insatiable sex drive, which put Annie, a notoriously non-physical woman, on edge. She was not one for, like, overt displays of, like, I want to fuck you. Oh. You know? That's, like, beyond affection. That's just, like, 
He's just walking around with his dick out. He's just Kinda. waiting the poo in all over their apartment. <laughs> he was and shirt like, cocking it everywhere. It. He's like, hey, hey, you hey. see this? And she's like, yeah, I see it. I don't want it. Like, he's having, like, a really heated, like, you know, discussion on something. And he's just punctuating it with, like, dick thrusts. Oh, yeah. Just swinging it at her. And she's just like, this is disgusting. Leave me alone. I really, I really don't need this. <laughs> but uh. it's, you know, it's almost like they they did this wrong. It's almost like they should have waited, maybe. maybe. Got to know each other a little I bit. I still don't understand why she married him so I don't quickly. Either. I think she just really, really wanted to feel like somebody wanted her Aww. and like she had a family. Because she was out on the road all the time. She was constantly just going back and forth, back and forth. And in the meantime, she is faced with Dave Stewart every single day. This guy that she was in a very intense relationship mm. with that they never really resolved anything. They never put their romance to bed, really. Mm. And that tension between them was kind of what drove the Eurythmics. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't really put it to bed if she wanted to continue being... In this band. Yeah. But she had absolutely no sexual outlet with Dave, so she had to put it somewhere else. So this guy, who is the complete fucking opposite of Dave, mm, rebound. Looked, looked like the perfect kind of person to and just he up and get is. married to. He's the perfect kind of person to fuck around with for a couple months and but be then, like, so we done. Yeah, and then be like, oh, you're awful. Get out of my house. I think we're good now. Yeah. 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 Ugh. These facts and more hidden gems about Rada were too much for Annie to handle, and after only eight months of marriage, Annie abruptly ended things. Good. Rada said he was blindsided and distraught over the divorce. Distraught enough to blackmail. <gasps> yeah, allegedly Rada demanded 20,000 pounds from Annie in return for not publishing private photos of the couple. Dick bag. What a fucking piece of shit. So much for that, like, peaceful religion you got, right? Oh, I thought, like... And eschewing materialism. Mm. Mm. It's it's almost like people high in religious, you know... Are kind of hypocrites? Yeah, are just hypocritical douchebags yeah. looking for a payout. Yeah. Pussy, huh. They just want pussy and a payout. It's almost like religion is garbage. Weird. <gasps> no. Anyway, mm. the couple officially separated in February 1985, and divorce proceedings began that April. It wouldn't be finalized until a year later, and in that time, Annie tried convincing the press that she and Rada were just the goodest of friends. <laughs> when it was all over, Annie couldn't help but admit that the entire marriage was a mistake. Yeah. So at least she knew that. Yeah. You know, and she got she had the money to get divorced. Oh, yeah, she did. He didn't. Well, not until he blackmailed her. Douchebag. That realization came after once again attempting therapy. It was a tumultuous year with the marriage and eventual divorce, battling with her parents, turning 30, and extensive touring leading to another bout of severe depression and Mm. self-loathing. She only went to one therapy appointment, but she went to the right therapist that left her with a sense of validation she never had before. Oh, good. That one appointment changed her life forever. Wow. When it came to her mental health, completely changed. Just one appointment? Just one appointment. This woman must have been fucking Jesus in order to change <laughs> The Jesus her. of therapists. <laughs> Jesus, MD. <laughs> Work continued to keep Annie busy, despite her personal life unraveling. 
Oh. Eurythmics were tapped to create the soundtrack to the movie 1984, an adaptation of the George Orwell novel of the same name, after David Bowie declined the job. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. And I saw this movie. I have not seen it. Don't think I really want to. Eh, maybe yeah. not right now. Not right now. Not right now. But the <laughs> apparently David Bowie was like, yeah, I'll do it, but I want to do something quote unquote organic. And as soon as the director heard that, he's like, no, <laughs> no, I don't know what that means, but no. But poor communication between the movie's director, Michael Radford, and the Virgin Records CEO, Richard Branson, almost meant the record never saw the light of day. Wow. Radford hired composer Dominic Muldowney to write the score while Branson hired Eurythmics. Neither party knew about the other, so oh Radford God. ended up with two movie scores. He hated the Eurythmics one and initially only used 15 seconds of their score in the movie. Wow. Shortly after the movie was released, it was retracted and Radford substituted the Eurythmics score into 95% of the movie. No shit. Yeah. But then he he took music out of most of the movie. <laughs> so like, whereas... Mu- you know, music was over the entire two hours of the movie. He yeah. cut it down to where it was only needed like 45 minutes of the movie. <laughs> Honestly, I do. Maybe that's why I don't I didn't even know about the music for the, the movie, because I do remember it's it's not a musically heavy movie. Yeah. So that makes sense. But they did have I think they played their song Sex Crime over the ending credits. Okay. And that ended up becoming a hit for them in the UK. Oh, OK. It's just them saying sex crime, like, over and over Yeah, again. which is why it's big in the UK, not to the US. Exactly. That is a UK kind of song, not for Americans. Tipper Gore would have been like, huh, 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 my pearls. <laughs> 1984, For the Love of Big Brother, was supposed to be a standalone project and not part of the Eurythmics' official discography. Their next official release was Be Yourself Tonight, recorded in Paris and released worldwide on April 29th, 1985. Mm. It would become Eurythmics' best-selling album and spawned one of their biggest hits, Would I Lie to You? Wow! <laughs> <laughs> that is a jam. I forgot about oh, that song. it's so great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be, your, Be Yourself Tonight saw quite a few changes with the band, both with their sound and their image. Hmm. They opted for a bigger and more commercial sound this time around. Yeah. And Would I Lie to You is a perfect example. Yeah. It's like straight up, you know, big horns and guitars. And it's very 80s. Yes. But like, very 80s straight up pop. pop. Not electro pop like they were doing before this, but like, you know, stadium rock. Yes. It's 100% like a jam that you would hear at a stadium show. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they were going for. It worked. They did it. It's far more traditionally rock and roll, with synthesizers barely recognizable in it. And Annie, really feeling her oats now that she was newly divorced and mentally awakened, took on a more feminine image as well. She dropped the wigs and androgynous looks and opted for truly ladylike 80s fashion. Tight dresses, stilettos, and massive shoulder pads with a Marilyn Monroe swagger. Yo, but like, she could pull off shoulder pads absolutely she like, can pull off anything are you kidding me? i know but you know how like if i put on shoulder pads I'm like oh, no, oh like, no honey i'm gonna go play the footballs now <laughs> but like analytics could walk in with like yeah foot long shoulder pads and you're like no she's working it no she's gonna go on stage i'm gonna go play football <laughs> 
She's going to go on stage and then go play football and, and kick then my kick ass. everybody's asses. Yeah. Yeah. She did, however, keep the short hair. Only the shocking orange was replaced with a pretty blonde. Mm. This turn to femininity was definitely welcomed by a very special guest on the newest album, Aretha Franklin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she guested on the single, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. Sisters are doing it for themselves. This is a fucking jam. Yeah. If you have any ounce of feminism, nitty, whatnot in your bones, like yeah. you hear the song and you're like, this was like, okay. I kind of feel like this was one of the first songs that people of our generation heard that was like female positive. Yes. And like, dudes can fuck off. We can do everything that they can do. Right. Yeah. Oh. So that song was released in October and quickly reached number nine in the UK and 18 in the US. Not bad for a US. Not bad. Chart. <laughs> Chart. Uh, U.S. Shart? Yeah. U.S. Shart. Yeah. The song became a feminist anthem. However, the co-lead songstresses didn't exactly get along. <gasps> Firstly, Aretha wasn't even Annie and Dave's first pick huh. to be on the song. Tina Turner was. Oh, shit. Yeah. But I could see that. When she turned it down because the song was too erasy, Aretha was brought in. Was it too racy? Because... I don't what? really understand why Tina Turner thought it was too racy because, like, at this time she was reviving her career yeah. after the whole bullshit with Ike Turner. Right. And you would think that she would be totally into, like, uh, it's a feminist song, but it's not, it's not explicit. No. It's not saying it's men no are wop. shitty. It's not WAP. <laughs> Nobody is talking about their wet pussies, but, like, I guess maybe it was just... Oh, I th honestly, I think it was Annie that was too weird yeah, for them. Let's I can face see it, that. Annie and honestly, Dave was. Pro they were probably you just too what? fucking weird. I'm saying it was Dave. <laughs> Dave, that hair recording proved to be troublesome as Aretha's large entourage ensured she was always separate from the rest of the musicians. Interesting, but also very Aretha. Yeah, I don't know much about Aretha, but I just know that like. At this point, she was big enough where she... And she was also trying to kind of revive her career mm -hmm. a bit. Oh, yeah. This was like 80s Aretha. Aretha. I keep trying almost calling her Urethra, and it's so bad. <laughs> I feel so bad. I'm sorry. Aretha. 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 80s Aretha was definitely... She was feeling her oats. Yeah. And she was also doing a lot of collaborations mm -hmm. in an effort to be looked at as like relevant and younger and still with it and still with it so i think she was kind of just taking whatever duets were yeah. kind of thrown at her which was fine and the eurythmics were hot right now so that makes sense that she'd want to work right. with them exactly and because of respect being also a feminist anthem um she her whoever was managing her at the time was probably like nah you should do this yeah it it's makes, also gonna be making you money yeah it makes a hundred percent sense and if you don't know the the story behind it you're like yeah this this all checks and mm -hmm. i am here for it mm -hmm. she also insisted on lyric changes hmm. and she didn't exactly agree with the song's message she and Annie weren't in sync in the studio or while filming the music video, which is delightfully awkward. <laughs> 
Have you ever seen the video for this? No, but is it as awkward as Mick Jagger and David Bowie's Dancing in the Streets? It's pretty close. <gasps> like, it's it, in in the list of most awkward music videos, it probably cracks the top 10. Wow. And it's just, it's just Aretha and Annie kind of like dancing in front of a movie screen yeah. that is showing like you know women throughout history or whatever okay but like apparently the story goes that annie was doing a photo shoot right before they started filming this okay and the photographer at the photo shoot was a lesbian okay and aretha found this out and for some reason assumed annie was also a lesbian and was just like nope don't want to do don't want to deal with that i'm just gonna stand on this side of the stage you stand on that side of the Aretha, stage come on i don't know if that's 100 percent true but that is the rumor mm, i hope it's not true i hope it's not either but at the same time i've heard other stories like that about aretha so oh. i have a feeling it, it might be true i know like you grew up in a time but if you want to be relevant, girl, you're going to have to embrace that gay community because they love you. Right. Which is exactly why I think she never commented on it. Mm. There's only rumors. Much like Fleetwood Mac, rumors. Indeed. Mm. But that's a much better rumors. Yeah. That's a much more well thought out rumor. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Though they had several major hits in Be Yourself Tonight, Annie and Dave decided not to tour for this album. Hmm. Annie's throat problems were back with a vengeance, so the decision was made to save her some pain and embarrassment. That's not a bad idea. No. Also, your new agey throat vibration shit didn't actually work, did it? Uh... It also meant the band missed out on Live Aid, one of the biggest events of the 1980s. Oh, that does suck. Yeah. While Annie was under doctor's orders not to sing, Dave was busy doing everything. Directing videos, writing and producing songs for Bob Dylan and Mick Jagger, and starting his own record label. Annie was understandably jealous and itched to start new projects. Mm -hmm. These new projects came in the form of acting and philanthropy. Huh. She made her acting debut in the movie Revolution, a historical drama set in 1776 America. Yep, makes sense. Yeah. She played a wild-haired revolutionary with tattoos on her forehead and chest, screaming liberty or death at a wildly miscast Al Pacino. He was the star. I Why? really want to see this movie. Because first right? of all, tattoos on her forehead and yeah. chest? She had like a a cross on her, like an X on her forehead. I think it was supposed to be, it was supposed to be something, but I can't remember what it was. And it just, she had like liberty or death scrawled across her chest. I'm pretty sure... That wasn't a thing no. back then. <laughs> no, they definitely knew about tattoos. But I don't think... Well, yeah. I think she was supposed to be, like, some, like, absolutely insane person. But she also had this very, like, very long, very big, wild ginger wig. Wow. And it very much made her look like Boudicca. And I was like, <laughs> I can get into this, even if she's only on screen for, like, two minutes. I love it. <laughs> Screaming liberty or death. Yeah. The movie flopped. Oh, you don't say. Obviously. But Annie had more important things to do. She started what would become a lifetime of philanthropic work, performing at a benefit concert for the victims of the Nevado del Ruiz volcanic eruption in Colombia. 
Oh, wow. Everything came to a crashing halt on April 8th, 1986, when her father passed away. (gasps) Tom Lennox had developed stomach cancer and doctors took way too long to figure it out. They even told him it was psychosomatic. I think you just ate too much at dinner. Yeah. Um, You're just making it up. You probably just got to poop it out. <laughs> poop out your tumor. It's just a poop. Just poop. It's fine. Yeah. Wait, now did she make up with her father before? Well, th- yeah, they had started talking again when she started divorce proceedings. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. By the time they realized what was wrong, the disease was already stage four. Jesus. And they had had a strained relationship, not speaking after she married, um, but she reconnected again when she started divorce proceedings. Mm -hmm. And Tom passed only three days after Annie arrived in Scotland, just barely enough time to say goodbye to her father. Mm. He was probably holding on for her. Yeah. Mm. That's too sad. The natural thing for Annie to do was to pour her emotions into her music. Yep. Eurythmics went back into the studio to record their sixth album, Revenge, which was released in June 1986. I can't believe how many albums they have. Eight, I think. Just, Eight or nine. Wow. Two songs, Take Your Pain Away and I Remember You, were about Annie's father and his death. Mm. Well, some songs, like the hit Missionary Man, were clearly dealing with leftover feelings over her divorce. I oh. fucking love Missionary Man, oh. by the way. Solid jam. Absolutely. Fun fact, the lyrics for that were started by Bob Dylan. She and Dave and Bob were just hanging out in London one day and he was shit faced and just started like rambling lyrics and she was like frantically writing them down and then just turned them into Missionary Man. I was born an original sinner. I was born an original sinner. Missionary Man. Maybe drunk Bob Dylan is like more tolerable than sober Bob Dylan. <laughs> He's like, I'm in fun it. with this one, guys. Missionary man. <laughs> Missionary man. <laughs> I really like the Bob Dylan version better. <laughs> Can we get Bob to to record that instead of another 19 minute opus on fucking JFK? <laughs> yeah, I would be so here for that. Uh, anyway. Revenge was a commercial success, holding a spot in the UK Top 20 for an entire year, but it wasn't exempt from criticism. Mm. Many fans and critics believed Eurythmics sold out with a stadium rock sound and dumbed-down pop songs. You really sold out. Because, of course, now is the you sold out portion of the story. Wake me when we're out of it. (laughs) Not entirely helping combat this idea was the fact that they set off on a 10-month global global tour playing you guessed it stadiums i mean but they're that popular they that's are. just how music works exactly. people this is how fame works this is the arc of progression also, for like, most musicians sometimes the artist doesn't have that much of a say in what they're doing like a lot of times the label is going to tell me yeah, you're doing the stadium tour yeah they're like you're going on tour it's going to be stadiums have too fun. bad yeah the police are opening for you i assume Honestly, yeah, they went on a few tours with the police, even yeah, though she badmouthed the shit out of Sting sometimes, oh, God, which I, I was like, her. yes, give it all to me. Mm. Delicious. But she and Sting went on tour together as recently as like 2019, I think. So oh. I they're friends. 
But I still appreciate her initial criticism. They might be frenemies, which is even better. Oh, I would love it. All like the Enya, Freunde that's going on between the two of them. I love it. Like Enya and Bono, Annie Lennox and Sting. <laughs> like, oh, we're lock of Oh, maybe... Maybe Annie and Sting are neighbors, and she just like stands out at the front gate, drunk, like trying to fight him. And he's just like, "All right, slowly, Sting, we're gonna fight now." And he's just slowly closing the the shutters to the windows, oh like, God. "Go to bed, Annie. <laughs> Go to bed." <laughs> I like this canon. Yeah, this is a good one. Despite the tour being a success, the band still faced criticism left and right. Not just about selling out, but about Annie's sexuality as well. Up until now, she'd always covered up, didn't show her body much. But on this tour, a girl was in leather pants and a bra. Yes. And one show in Birmingham, she even whipped her bra off in an attempt to invigorate a bored crowd. All the bad press just made Annie come off as self-important in interviews, fueling the media's fire even more. So let me get this straight. Last time... They were mad because they're like, is she a boy or a girl? Mm -hmm. I don't know. And now it's like, oh, she's a girl. She's a slut. Yep. Yeah. I fucking can. All right. I'm going to sleep. You wake me up when when this is over. Oh, wait. We're still living in it. (laughs) Cool. You wake me up when feminism is okay. Oh, it's never going to be okay. Okay. I'm just going to go die i'm just gonna walk i'm just gonna walk into the ocean and never come back misogyny ends (laughs) thank you billy joe armstrong would have been a better song yeah it would (laughs) have after the revenge tour ended dave and annie again went off to do their own things Hmm. she tried her hand again at acting this time in a robert altman short film called the room not that room (laughs) and not that though i wish it was because Isn't there like 20 movies? There's like the room, a room, room. Yeah. All of these are correct. (laughs) Yes. It went completely under the radar. Unlike the Arrhythmics feature length documentary called Brand New Day. The movie followed Annie and Dave through their tour of Japan and was part documentary, part live performance. Critics were not pleased, calling it self-indulgent and dull. I fucking hate these critics yeah and i hope who are you who i got none a punch. of them can do their job anymore and they're all just sad and old yeah. and bitter yeah because they probably are but also you know that japanese tour they they were they were in so much love because i bet the japanese loved them oh yeah yeah definitely japanese are the best fans i stand by it not all was lost though as annie found a new love in the film's assistant director yuri fruchtman mm. yuri was the complete opposite of radha good <laughs> thankfully for starters he was not a Hare krishna monk he was also popular with annie's musician friends and provided a stable grounding annie desperately needed after the last couple of years good yay I like this guy <laughs> Annie not only had a solid relationship with Yuri, but Dave's love life changed around this time, too. He married Siobhan Fahey, one-third of Bananarama. Oh, shit! In August 1987 and immediately started a family. In fact, she was like eight months pregnant when they got married. Pregnant? Pregnante. Was she his Venus? And his fire. And his, his desire. desire. <laughs> Thank you. Without both musicians being in solid relationships, they never would have been able to continue with Eurythmics. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but nevertheless, they did continue. 
They released the album Savage in November 1987. Mm. On this album, they went back to basics and back to their roots. Gone was the stadium rock of revenge. In was the quirky electro pop of their first albums. Okay, cool. Yeah. And everyone hated it. (laughs) Oddly, Dave and Annie chose to write separately this time around, whereas they usually collaborated on everything together. Right. Oh, interesting. And they usually would like just go into the studio, have everything written and recorded within like a couple weeks. Dang. That's it. They were done. Annie poured the anger, frustration, and dejection of the last couple years into her lyrics, which somehow blended perfectly with Dave's synthesized beats. They once again chose not to tour for the album. Instead, they released a video album. Oh, that's fun, though. Yeah. Especially back then, videos were hot. Very hot. They recruited now veteran music video director Sophie Muller to create videos for each song on Savage. Oh. If you don't know who Sophie Muller is, holy fuck. She's done almost every Eurythmics video. She's done almost every uh, No Doubt video. Yep. Gwen Stefani. Um, like a fuck ton of other people. Basically, if you have seen a music video in the 1990s and early 2000s, you have seen Sophie Muller's work. She did Mr. Brightside for the Killers. Yep. Uh, did she do a Nirvana video? Because I feel like she might have. No. As far as I know, she did not. Maybe it's just a different grunge band that I'm She's done whole videos. That's... She did, I think, Miss World. Yep. Okay, that's probably what it was then. Yeah, so if you've seen... A video in the 90s or 2000s where it's like kind of saturated colors, but also super soft focus. Yes. Like all the No Doubt videos and Miss World and Mr. Brightside. Yeah. That's Sophie Mueller. Got it. Yeah. So that's the entire. That is her. video. (laughs) Yes. Was just that. Yes. All right. Good to know. Actually, I think this early on, she she hadn't gotten into that aesthetic yet, so... That was pretty 90s. Not a whole lot of soft focus with the Eurythmics mm-hmm. at this point. But each individual video, when put together, told the story of a frustrated housewife, played by Annie, yep. who eventually turns into a seductress. Ooh. The band was quite proud of the resulting film, but critics and fans barely paid attention to it. Although Savage eventually went platinum, the album didn't break the top 40 in the U.S. Because we suck. So then they do the thing. You're you're like flames on the side of my face. (laughs) They do the thing that everybody wanted them to do. And they're like, I don't care anymore. We don't like it. I fucking hate people. (laughs) Please continue. Yeah. But no matter, because Annie was building a new life in Paris with Yuri. Mm. Compounding her happiness was the chance to play in South Africa for Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday. Oh, shit. He was imprisoned at the time for publicly opposing the South African government's apartheid policy, and the aim of the concert was to bring as much attention to this horrifically unjust imprisonment as possible. Yeah. Side note, it worked, and Nelson Mandela was released 18 months later. It was a... Yeah, it was, it was a, a good fucking thing. Up situation. Oh yeah, yeah. No, like the whole thing that happened to him is buff fucking nanas. But yeah. like, yeah, it's pretty awesome that one of the few times it's like everybody gets together to raise awareness. It fucking it worked. Actually, fucking worked. Yay! One month after the Nelson Mandela concert on July fifteenth, nineteen eighty-eight, Annie married Yuri Fruchtman in Paris. Yay! I keep thinking you're gonna say Yuri Fructose. <laughs> 
He's just it a was, sugar boy. It was just a bottle of that fake honey in the shape of a bear. <laughs> she named it Yuri. <laughs> and everyone was like, that's nice, Annie. Glad you're happy. <laughs> Have you thought about going back to your therapist? <laughs> just, just say hi. Oh, anyway. It was a festive celebration, of course, but even more so because Annie was four months pregnant. Oh, pregante. Pregante. She was going to get starch masks. Oh, you know starch she was. masks. <laughs> a few months after the wedding, Annie announced her first solo effort, a collaboration with Al Green on a cover of Put a Little Love in Your Heart for the Scrooge soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? Yes, it's good. As 1988 drew to a close, the song hit number nine, and Annie awaited the birth of her first child, which was set for December 6th. But two days before the due date, Annie was admitted to the hospital in West London. Mm-hmm. Joy turned to complete despair when Annie realized the baby was no longer moving. The doctor informed the couple that the baby had died inside Annie's womb. To make it all worse, Annie still had to give birth to the deceased baby, whom they named Daniel. And the only way the couple were able to overcome such sorrowful tragedy was with the help of the Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Society, who encouraged them to look at the stillbirth as an experience instead of trying to forget it. Oh, God. That, wow. Just imagining, first of all, Annie had been wanting to have children for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, of course. So she finally got it, got pregnant, carried this child to full term, and literally two days before he was his scheduled birth date, um, yeah. he died. That's awful. Horrible. Oh. And to have to still give birth... Yep. Knowing that your baby is not going to be making a fucking sound. Oh, How nope. horrible. Like, no, I don't I even, even like imagine kids. That. I never want to be pregnant. I never want any of that. But that is like, that makes me feel pain. Yeah. Like, I would never wish that on anyone. That's fucking Absolutely horrific. Absolutely not. Oh, poor Annie. Jesus Christ. The tragic loss of her first child put Annie back into the good graces of the public, which is just... <laughs> This, this Are is they what not did it? merciful? Mm, mm. Regular fucking Commodus over here, and she found herself getting a bit of sympathy from from the press for once. While Annie and Yuri immediately tried to get pregnant again, Annie took up collaborating with Greenpeace, an organization she would continue to advocate with for years. You know that's really, it's really nice to hear Annie's story because she's like, through every tragedy or every bad time. She does something very constructive with it and yeah. works uses her fame and her clout to work with amazing organizations to try to raise awareness or just assist in some way, which is really it's it's amazing. And you don't hear that a lot. Even when she's experiencing loss, she's trying to help other people. Right. Which is probably the most constructive way you can deal with loss. Absolutely. Continuing the pattern, Annie put all of her emotions into her music the Eurythmics' eighth album, We Two Are One, was released on September 11th, 1989. While Annie and Dave attempted to take inspiration from their past albums and create a sound that was definitively Eurythmics, critics panned it as derivative and uninspired. I'm going to pan the critics as a bunch of ball knockers. <laughs> Just knocking the balls with faces. Ball knockers, fuck nutters, 
fucking douche. How about I pan you, you fucking assholes? Hate them. I'm going to fight all of them. I'm going to go real Looney Tunes on you and Mm -hmm. just fucking whale you upside the head with a frying pan. I'm here for that. I would like to. It's really a lost art that I think we need to bring back. Looney Tunes? Looney Tunes frying pan Mm. gags. Mm. Just home alone the shit out of these people. (laughs) Those fucking iron straight to the face. Should have been dead. Should have. You got outsmarted by a fucking nine year old, man. Despite the bad reviews, the album shot to number one in the UK. Good. It just barely broke the top 40 in the US, where the public had all but forgotten the duo. I mean, not surprised. Because we have shit taste in music. Every fucking American. Yeah. The pair embarked on a world tour to promote We Two Are One, and they played their last show in Rio de Janeiro on January 29th, 1990. It was after that show, while walking through the Brazilian city, that the two just said, yeah, it's time to call it quits for a while. Huh. A few weeks later, while accepting the Best British Female Award at the Brit Awards, (laughs) Annie announced that she was leaving music to focus on her family and charity work. You are the best British female ever. Of all the British females. You win. Here you go. You win. You did it. <laughs> Congratulations. And here for here to give away the award for the best British female is the Artful Dodger. <laughs> oh, you're the best British female, aren't you? Watch your pockets, mate. Take something from you. <laughs> You a right fine lady, Miss oh. Lennox. <laughs> oh my god, yes. It's like the only accent I can do. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> but the truth of it was, Annie and Dave had just gotten sick of each other. Oh, wow. After making music together for 14 years, you kind of get on each other's nerves. Yeah, and you know, honestly, a split... It makes sense after more than a decade. Exactly. And in an effort to continue civility, you have to get away from each other. Right. You have to look at each other and say, all right, I think we're done. Like, I'm sick of your face. In order to not be sick of your face for the rest of my life, we need to leave. Yeah. This is it. If this is it, please let me know. And they did. They did. The Huey Lewis did. (laughs) The Huey Lewis system. (laughs) Annie wasted no time getting busy, professionally and personally. Oh. She announced that she was pregnant again, due at the end of 1990. This was thankfully a successful birth, and Good. Lola Lennox Fruchtman was born on December 10th, only five days after Dave's second child was born. Wait, what's her name? Lola Lennox Fruchtman. Oh. Hey, I thought for a hot second you said Lululemon, and I'm like, what is this kid's <laughs> name? Uh, that would be hilarious. Like many mothers, Annie suffered from postpartum depression after mm-hmm. Lola was born. A doctor prescribed painkillers and antidepressants, which she relied on a little too much. Mm. But she realized she was in danger of becoming addicted and forced herself to quit before the problem got out of control. Damn, you're too responsible, Annie. Too fucking responsible. Can't handle it. Meanwhile, Annie's first four four way. This is an impossible word to say. Meanwhile, Annie's first foray into AIDS charity work came in the form of a cover of Cole Porter's Every Time We Say Goodbye. Hmm. The song was released on an anthology of Cole Porter cover songs, and all proceeds went to AIDS awareness efforts. It was a good jumping off point to a solo career. 
While enjoying her new family, Annie toyed around with writing songs in her home studio. Hmm. But if she was serious about a solo career, she needed a new manager. She found that in none other than a then quite green Simon Fuller. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wait. Simon Fuller. Like... As in American Idol judge Simon Fuller. No shit. Yeah, he was actually a manager. He had a real job before American Idol. He was like a professional adult before he became a child adult and had to watch (laughs) fucking losers (laughs) sing in front of him. And then call them losers to their face. Yeah. Right next to Randy saying, it's going to be a no for me, dog. And Paula... Uh, what's her face? Just Paula Abdul, like, oh my god, it's you know, I can see you tried really hard though. But also, I like ice cream because <laughs> Paula Abdul was where's, just a fucking treasure during oh her my, American Idol. Where's years. my animated cat friend? <laughs> I miss him. Where's DJ Scat Cat? <laughs> we need to dance together. Oh my god, Simon's just like, oh, I used to manage Annie Lennox. What the <laughs> fuck am I doing with my life? Uh, and that's how we got the gif of him going, oh, Yep. God. Yep. That's it. Yep. <laughs> and this was our episode on Simon <laughs> Fuller. So Simon Cowell. Is it? Simon Fuller is a British engineer. He's creator of the franchise. Oh. <laughs> but he's not Simon Cowell. Yeah, managing the... Oh, oh, Fuller first came into prominence. Okay. So wait, did Simon... No, Simon Cowell was just the judge then. Wait a minute. His name's Simon Cowell. His name is Simon Cowell. <laughs> We're talking about... You know what? This is I totally fu- fucked up the Simons fault. because there's two fucking Simons that worked on American Idol. There's and Simon Cowell Fuller the- and Simon Cowell. Yeah. I mean, Simon Fuller... Was the one like, who basically created he it. He created the show. Yes. And Simon Cowell... Was the judge. Was the judge. Okay. You can see where I got confused. I 100% was there with I you. I have literally been confused for a week and didn't even know it. You know what? It's fine. Let's just do this again. Although comedy gold <laughs> is going to have to go in the vault. Oh, well. It happens. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Simon suggested Annie work with producer Steve Lipson, which turned into the collaboration Annie needed post Dave Stewart. Yeah. She hadn't worked with anyone but Dave her entire musical career, so the change was refreshing and invigorating. Hmm. Like a nice hard seltzer. <laughs> Speaking of, here we take a moment to, uh, you know, Try promote, our, promote our sponsor. Who is not sponsoring us. Yeah, nobody sponsors us. Yo, if, if anything, we're hard, sponsoring them right you now. You've got a hard seltzer and you need it sponsored. Hi. Hi. We'll do it. <laughs> You're welcome. As long as it's good. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. We could be bought. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Annie's first solo album, Diva, was mm. released in April 1992. The title was a cheeky nod to the media's description of her over the years, but the album was proof positive that Annie was stepping out of the Eurythmics shadow. Oh, 100. Very much. <laughs> With the exception of two songs in which she's credited as co-writer, Annie wrote all of the songs herself. Nice. The album debuted at number one and eventually went quadruple platinum, performing far better than any Eurythmics album. Because it's a goddamn bop. Absolutely it is. Fantastic album. Ahead of the album's release, the first single, Why, was put to radio. Why? Why? (laughs) Gorgeous. 
It was a hit, reaching number five in the UK, breaking the top 40 in the US, and landing in the top 10 in a big fat handful of other countries. Nice. The music video was simple, featuring Annie in an orange and pink headdress that she wore on the cover of the album, which was a costume used in the James Bond movie Octopussy. I was gonna You're be welcome. Like, I was gonna be like, oh, but then you said pussy, and I had to giggle because I'm a child. And now you're like, pussy, pussy. <laughs> but arguably the most memorable song on the album was its third single, "Walking on Broken Glass," which is like just the fucking best song ever. Right? Fight me. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely in my top five, if not the top three. Best songs ever. Of best songs ever. Because, like, I remember loving it when I was a kid. But then you get a little older, you kind of like forget about it, and like, oh, it's kind of cheesy, and you forget because you're an angsty teen. Yeah. And then you get in your 30s, you're like, yo, you fucking remember that analytics song, though? But then you start a podcast, and you have to guest on your friend's podcast talking about music videos throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then your friend is like, but what about the walking on broken glass video? And you're like, but I forgot about that. And then you watch and you're like, this is the best thing ever. How yeah, did honestly, I forget? How did we forget? Like, first of all, bop of a fucking song. Oh, And totally. then amazing music video. Absolutely. Yes. This song was helped along by an equally amazing music video. <sighs> so fucking endearing. Directed by none other than Sophie Mueller. The video is based on the film Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> It's set, sure. in, it's set in the Rococo period and features a parade of lords and ladies dressed to the nines celebrating a recent marriage. Oh. Hugh Laurie plays Annie's affable husband, mm. while John Malkovich plays her unrequited love interest that she eventually gets in the end. I don't know. I would have stayed with Hugh Laurie, but I think that's just me. <laughs> but that's, yeah. That's just me. I mean, if we're talking like current day Hugh Laurie versus John Malkovich, I'm going with Hugh Laurie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, even back then, I loved him in ba- Blackadder, and I think he was oh, one of yeah. my early crushes as a child. I keep this forgetting says about Blackadder. a lot about me, I think. <laughs> I had a little crush on Hugh Laurie in Blackadder when I was like nine, and I was like, he's funny. I mean... <laughs> Even like season two, Rowan Atkinson in Blackadder was pretty, he was okay looking in that. He was the best he ever looked. But yeah, Annie is unquestionably the star of the show in this video, standing out from the crowd in a red dress with a velvet head wrap. Even if her previous acting forays didn't light any fires, her acting in this video is chef's kiss she's amazing her facial expressions alone tell so many stories yeah it's fantastic that's why i'm surprised she didn't take any theater classes because her she has an amazing body language yes you can always tell what she's thinking on her face you can see like she's very good at expressing herself physically I really think it's a Sagittarius Capricorn kind of thing because I'm not saying that I am any sort of good actress because I really don't think that I am. But I do feel like if you look at me and I am making a facial expression, you know exactly you mean what it. I'm saying. You mean it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so terrified. I feel for, like I was terrified of you for the first 10 months. I knew I'm like, <laughs> she angry. She going to eat my face off. <laughs> she might. Annie once again passed on touring to promote her record, instead doing one-off shows here and there. 
One of them was the Freddie Mercury tribute concert in April 1992, where uh, she sang Under Pressure with David Bowie. Which is phenomenal. Her outfit was phenomenal mm-hmm. also. That fucking Blade Runner makeup and oh like this big ass fucking sequin like dress. It was great. She was, so it was super black swan. But like yeah, right. better than Black Swan. You know, like I whoever just don't did... like Darren Aronofsky. Oh, I do hate Darren Aronofsky. You know he was so influenced by Annie Lennox. But he, he had give to her the credit. Nah. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Though she didn't know Freddie very well at all, doing the concert to raise AIDS awareness was something this advocate would not pass up. Mm-hmm. Annie gave birth to her second daughter, Tally. Mm. On February 9th, 1993, around the same time the final single from Diva, Little Bird, was released. Another fucking jam. Underestimated jam. Absolutely. Honestly, a lot of people, I don't think, know it, and you should, because that is a fucking great song. It definitely went under the radar, because I think because it was the last single Mm. from the album, but also, have you seen the music video for this song? No, I have not. Oh, we need to watch it when we're done because it starts off with a present day Annie Mm -hmm. dressed kind of like cabaret with a big like cane and the top hat, very visibly pregnant. Oh. And she's like dancing around a stage and then like one by one these different Annie personas from throughout the years like come on stage with her like it's male and female actors dressed up as her throughout the years and they're all singing the song and like doing a dance number it's so sweet all right i'm here for it yeah and at the end they're all like trying to clamor for like facetime on the camera it's it's very it's very good as diva continued to chart becoming britain's second best-selling album of 1992 Annie and her family moved to the Spanish island of Majorca and lived their lives as normally as possible. Is it Majorca or Majorca? I don't know. I don't know Spanish, so I don't know. I mean, I would say Majorca, but I actually don't know how you pronounce it. Okay, we'll go with both. Okay. They didn't stay long in their Mediterranean paradise and moved back to England at the end of 1993, settling in the London suburb of Highgate. Oh. She decided to pursue another solo album, but this time around things were a bit different. She had a title already, Medusa, but what would she write about? Normally, she writes from a place of sadness, despair, or angst. She was so blissed out with her family that she couldn't even conjure up these feelings. Hmm. So instead, she decided to do an album of covers. And Medusa was released in March 1995 and contained antified versions of songs by artists like The Clash, Neil Young, The Temptations, and Bob Marley. But No More I Love Yous is on that. That's a cover. No shit. Sure is. Yeah, once again, it entered the UK charts at number one and spawned one of the biggest hits of Annie's career, No More I Love Yous. Originally by an obscure British band called The Lover Speaks, Annie made the ballad her own with soaring vocals and a dancey beat. It became the highest charting single of Annie's career, but sadly, the whole of Medusa was mostly panned. Most critics said it was uninspired and boring, while some were harsher, saying it was, quote unquote, willfully wrongheaded. I think Medusa's a great fucking album. It's fine. I really liked it when I was a kid. Diva's better. Oh, yeah. But I really like Medusa. Yeah. I mean, it's. It for an album comprised solely of covers, it's really not bad at all. No, like I can see where maybe she was phoning it in 
a little okay. bit on some, but like No More I Love You's is a fucking amazing song. Mm-hmm. But I think that was also the one song on the album that she was really passionate about. Oh, maybe. So maybe that came across more oh. on that song. Okay. But also her vocals are like out of this world. Yeah. If anything, it. just appreciate the fucking vocals. Yes. Absolutely. Swine. <laughs> Swine. <laughs> While her music may have been uninspired, Annie proved to be an inspiration to an up-and-coming girl group you may have heard of called the Spice Girls. What? As we know, Simon Fuller was Annie's manager. Yes. On a flight to New York one day, Simon brought up to Annie that he had just signed the girl group to his management group. Okay. Annie insisted on meeting them. Oh. The British media had just given them their nicknames, Sporty, Scary, Baby, Ginger, and Posh. But the girls themselves hadn't quite gotten into into it yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they were just little babes in the woods when yeah. they first started out. Right. You would know when if you go back and listen to our episode on the Spice Girls from yeah. like almost three years ago. <laughs> that was a long fucking it's time ago. a long ago. fucking time ago. After getting to know them a little, she encouraged them to play up their new personas. It was this advice that Simon credits as making Spice Girls such a huge hit across the globe. Which honestly makes a ton of sense because, of course, Annie's going to tell people... Look, play up the personas. Yeah, you have need a, fun with it. You need a gimmick and you already have these nicknames. Play it up because mm-hmm. that's what she did with her own persona. Yeah. She already knew that she liked this like androgynous quality that she kind of had mm-hmm. and she knew she could do it and pull it off really well. So that's what everybody clung to when the Eurythmics first came out. And I think it helped to get the girls more into what they were doing, more into the music, more into the dancing, more into the display. And it allowed people to see themselves in at least one of them Mm -hmm. and cling to that and really respond to at least that one person and therefore the group as a whole. Yep. There There was a persona for everyone. Exactly. Which is what I think the Spice Girls had over all the boy bands at that time. Very clearly defined personas. Yep. Instead of, oh, the cute one. Oh, the young one. Oh, the one who definitely is like 35. What is he doing here? He was just a cousin (laughs) of the other one. So that they needed a fifth. (laughs) Oh, Kevin Richardson. That's you. J.C. Chazez was like. Oh, no, it's Chris Kirkpatrick was the oldest one. He was like 35 when everybody else was like 20. (laughs) Yeah. He had those dumb dreads. Ripperoni. Closer to home and a couple years later, Annie found herself face to face with Dave Stewart again. Oh. In the years since Eurythmics went on hiatus, the two had barely spoken to each other. Wow. It was clear that the two led completely different lives now, but the death of someone from their past brought them back together. Hmm. Pete Coombs, who the two played with in early bands The Catch and The Tourist, yeah, di- yeah. he died in 1997. Oh. The two reconnected at his funeral, later playing together for the first time in eight years at a record company party in 1998. Wow. Realizing the magic was still there, Dave and Annie went into the studio one more time. Oh. They released their final album, Peace, on October 19th, 1999. It got mostly positive reviews. Nice. For once in their fucking lives. (laughs) With the lead single, I Saved the World Today, just short of breaking the top ten in the UK. The second single, 17 Again, did, however, top the U.S. dance charts. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't either. All right. (laughs) That's going to be one to look up. But here we are. I like dance. Yeah. 
To promote the album, Eurythmics went on a 24-date world tour that ended in December 1999, making headlines when the band announced that all profits from the tour would be donated to Amnesty International and Greenpeace. Oh, that's really nice. But if any people, super, super charitable people, good people. And also, I forgot to put this in my notes. I don't know how I forgot, but (laughs) it was around this time that um, Annie and Yuri got divorced. Ooh, yeah, I don't I don't know the the details surrounding this. So it was really funny because it was around this time in the timeline that the book that I had just ended. (laughs) And I was and like, we're done. great. And like Annie is notoriously super private. So yeah. like finding information about this period and after was pretty fucking difficult. I believe it. So yeah, that's why I forgot to put in their divorce into my notes. But yeah, they got divorced. She eventually did remarry. She remarried in 2012 to Mitchell Besser. I don't know who the fuck he is, but. He's an obstetrician and gynecologist. Wow. He knows his way around her, uh, you know. Her lady bits. Her lady bits, I'm assuming. You know what? Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe the only thing he knows is how to insert medical equipment into it. Oh, God, I hope not. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, but if anyone was hoping the Eurythmics hiatus was done for good and and the band would keep going, they were disappointed. Oh, They recorded two new songs for a Greatest Hits package in 2005, but since then, the band has had no plans to get back together. Yeah. And Annie continued with her solo career with the release of Bear in 2003, which peaked at number four in the U.S. Oh, wow. Which also, I don't remember it. No. But we were like, by the time we were in college, I feel like when you're in college, you're kind of just focused on whatever your one vibe is in college. I was deep into emo and i was deep into house music there we go so and that's the difference between ashley and and maggie and that's where (laughs) annie lennox is like hi and we're like we're not paying attention yeah and also like my biggest exposure to music at that time was mtvu which was basically playing that one peter bjorn and john song over and over and over again for the entire oh my god stop it stop it ptsd (laughs) Ugh. Funny yeah. Maggie side note. I always thought their names were Peter, John, and Bjorn. No, like, you thought Peter... it was Peter Bjorn was one guy and then John was the other guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's no, Peter there's Bjorn. commas. No, but there's not. <laughs> commas matter. That's right. I thought yeah. it was Peter Bjorn and John. Yeah, like Peter and I was like, hyphen why Bjorn. Doesn't, why doesn't John get his last name listed? <laughs> You're like, no, Maggie, there's three different people. I'm like, that's fucking dumb. Oh. Use your commas, Pitt. It's just really annoying because Peter Bjorn and John is actually a really good band and I quite enjoy them, but I fucking hate that song. I hate it so much. I know you love it, but I fucking hate it. But let's take a minute here and talk about the one thing that you and I really want to talk about. <sighs> Annie's absolutely stunning song, Into the West, for the Lord of the Rings Return of the King soundtrack. Can we talk about how every time I hear this song, it bursts into tears? It's so good. Bursts into tears. I sang it um, when I was living in Brooklyn and I took uh, was taking vocal lessons and we'd have performances in Brooklyn and I uh-huh. sang it for it. And I could see like one person who, was in just the crowd like- who wasn't one of my friends who came <laughs> with me and they were like, and they were like rapped. They were like, oh, I love this song. And I was like, Lord of the Rings fan. 
Yay, I'm going to talk to you later. Mm, We're going to be friends now. (laughs) I'm going to sing this to you. (laughs) (sighs) Director Peter Jackson recruited Annie to sing the penultimate song that closed the third installment of the movie trilogy, assuring that everyone in the theater would be bawling their eyes out if they weren't already. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. If you are not bawling your eyes out, or at least just like raw in the face from crying so much. At the end of Return of the King, I don't want to know you. First of all, if you didn't cry when Aragorn was like, you bow to no one. And then everyone in Minas Tirith bows to the hobbits. First of all, you are like, I'm not even that cold. Uh, Yeah. I'm not even that cold. Oh, my God. And then if you're not like still like emotional when Frodo just like looks back at the other three hobbits when he's getting on the ship to go to the Grey Havens Mm -hmm. and you don't start crying again. Also, you're a cold hearted fucking asshole. Stop. I'm getting teared up (laughs) thinking about it. And then if that wasn't if that emotional onslaught wasn't enough, (sighs) then they come in with Into the West and you're like, This is such a journey. I can't. I spent so many years. Yep. Although I do think we've covered all of this in our Lord of the Rings episode, also from like three years ago. I read over my notes, and you know what? I didn't go over everything, so I have more for you now. All right. But also listen to that. Yeah. That episode, too. That was pretty choice. Mm-hmm. So the song was a collaboration between co-director Fran Walsh, composer Howard Shore, mm-hmm. and Annie herself. Taking elements of the score and blending them to, and blending them seamlessly into a song that perfectly caps off hours upon hours upon hours of fantastical filmmaking. Yep. Yep. To make the lyrics that much more emotional, they were partly inspired by a 16-year-old Maori filmmaker named Cameron Duncan, who was suffering from cancer. Oh, fuck. And he passed away. At some point during like the filming or when they were writing the um, score and his work, his filmmaking work impressed Peter Jackson so much that he wanted to memorialize him with a song. Ugh. Other inspirations came from Legolas's lament in Tolkien's Return of the King, as well as Frodo's journey to the Grey Havens. So there's chapters in the book where Legolas like... Can I ask? He, like, sings this lament, and the words, I think, are, like, put into this song. Some of the words from that lament are put into this song. This is too many layers of emotions, and I can't handle it. This is a seven-layer taco dip of emotions. This is just seven-layer taco dip of tears. Yeah. Um, Also, why didn't they have Legolas sing the song in the movie? Was Orlando Bloom like, I don't think so, guys. First of all, I don't want to hear Orlando Bloom sing. You know I have what? A I kind of do. I don't. Um, but also, why why would you have Orlando Bloom sing this shit? Oh, no, not this you- song. I just mean like Legolas's Lament. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it doesn't really fit into the movies. Yeah, I can see it where it didn't doesn't. really fit. Yeah, you're right. Oh, Billy Boyd was singing. Yeah. Why have Orlando Bloom sing? When you got Billy fucking Boyd. Exactly. And that is a heartbreaking scene also. So the emotional ballad was a hit, not just with the Lord of the Rings nerds. It got Annie a Grammy and a Golden Globe and an Academy Award for Best Song at the 2004 Oscars. She's doing it for herself. Annie spent much of the 2000s recording and releasing solo albums, including a Best of Collection, a Christmas album, and a 2014 album of covers called Nostalgia. 
You know, honestly, her I don't know the whole Christmas album, but her version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, real yeah. fucking good. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even religious. I don't really like Christmas music. However, yeah. I have made myself a playlist of Christmas songs. I'm like, if you're going to make me fucking sit around and do Christmas shit, we're listening to the music yeah. I want to listen to. There was one Christmas album that my mom had when I was a kid. I can't remember the fucking name of it, but it was a charity album, and mm-hmm. actually, Eurythmics were on it. Ooh. This was also the album where Madonna did her horribly Santa Baby. ostentatious uh, version of Santa Baby. And I actually really loved that album. Okay. Every song on there was pretty spectacular. Pretty solid. All right. Whitney Houston was on it. Ooh, I think Bruce, Sprix- Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen was on it, I think. Boss can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. But anyway, uh, this wasn't just a rehash of her album Medusa. These were jazz and soul classics like I Put a Spell on You and Georgia on My Mind. Mm-hmm. But she received a lot of criticism for this album, mainly because she included a rendition of Strange Fruit. Ooh. And if you don't know what Strange Fruit is, go listen to our Billie Holiday episode and our Nina Simone episodes. Um, Billie Holiday originally did it, and it was a very explicit recounting of a lynching of a black man in the South. And it's very moving and... uh, and then Nina Simone did it and just made it even just yeah. more emotional. She put an urgency to it, like a hey, look at this. But like look at what this fucking seriously. is. Yeah. And tell me there's not racism in this country. Yeah. Um, but Annie did it, which in a way, like coming from a white woman, I guess, brings it to an audience that needs to hear it. Right. So yeah, she did. She included the cover of Strange Fruit, and in a PBS interview, she spoke at length about the song, yet failed to directly mention that it's about the lynching of black people in the South. Ooh. Instead, she rambled about injustice and female empowerment, which didn't go over well with those watching. Mm-hmm. She initially stayed silent on the matter, which infuriated some people even more. Mm. Then when she did finally speak out, she apologized for not mentioning the lynchings, but pointed out that she did directly comment about them in the album's companion DVD. Okay. Which came, I think came out at the same time that the album did. So, but like, I get it. Not everybody's going to see the DVD. The DVD. Right, right. They're far more likely to see this PBS special which by the way the interview was with tavis smiley who is a black man oh okay and a very prolific journalist and interviewer and he's on pbs all the time and she was basically like well i expected tavis smiley to know what i was talking about (laughs) it's like that's not no don't no you're not just talking to him you're talking to an audience yeah so not exactly the greatest response, but I think she probably learned a lot from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, that's yeah. good. And honestly, that's people make mistakes and that's fine. And as long as you learn from it and you grow from it, yeah, it's fine. Well, you know, that's part of being human. Exactly. Since then, Annie has been incredibly busy releasing music and working with several charities and philanthropic philanthropic organizations Mm -hmm. 
She released another album labeled Lepidoptera in 2019. Yes, which is really good. Yeah. I actually listened to that when that came out because all of a sudden Spotify's like, hey, don't you like Anne and Lennox? Here's this song. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty. Yeah. So that came out in conjunction with her art installation at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, Mass Mocha. Which I did not know she did an art installation there because I would have fucking gone to see it because it's 45 minutes away from us. I feel us. like Mass Mocha kind of sucks at advertising to They're us. They're terrible at advertising. At least for us, anyway. Yeah, like over they probably, here in Albany, we're like, we would go. But we go there all the fucking time. And they're like, no, we're just going to advertise to Boston. It's like, no. They're like three hours away. We're 45 minutes away. But whatever. It's fucking Chasimusits for you. But aren't all the songs on that album too instrumentals? Yes, they are. So she wrote them. She wrote them. And I think she... she I. Th- I think she wrote them specifically for the art installation to play yeah. over it while you're walking through it. It's just, it's very interesting. It's such a... um, It's a very big departure from what she's usually doing. Yeah, but it, it works too. Yeah. It's not... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it still felt like Annie Lennox, but it felt like a, um, a reasonable progression for her. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. I really liked it, actually. I would highly suggest it if you're into, like mellow instrumentals yeah she's a very good piano player too really is yeah she has continued crossing the globe to promote aids awareness female empowerment and working with nelson mandela's 46664 campaign she was also a vocal opponent of the iraq war and loudly critical of pope benedict's denunciation of condoms while on tour in africa where aids and related illnesses are still a huge problem and denouncing condoms is the worst thing you could have fucking done to religious countries who are dealing with an aids epidemic you know how they have this problem in the first place missionaries (laughs) missionaries (laughs) missionary Missionary man But honestly, mm-hmm. oh, it's a man it's coming in saying, don't you have condoms? No condoms. No condoms. No. <laughs> it's all Bob Dylan's fault. It's all Bob Dylan's fault. Mm-hmm. It's nearly impossible to mention every single charitable thing she has yeah. done because it is fucking immense. You want to you want to find out about it? Go look at her uh, Wikipedia page where the charitable section is far bigger than like the actual history section holy crap annie it is insane good for you but let's just say it's extensive and it's beyond admirable at this point in her life it seems like annie has gotten to a place of contentment once viewed as an ice princess by the media constantly scrutinized for her looks her strong-mindedness and confident sexuality These days, she's viewed as an advocate for anyone who's different. Hmm. Early in her career, she was consistently questioned and ridiculed for her androgynous looks, had her sexuality questioned, and her confidence shook. But nearly 30 years later, it's safe to say this woman is capital T, capital I, the icon. Yes! (laughs) Annie fucking Lennox! Be my mom! (laughs) But can you be my mom? Be my mom, Annie Lennox. I mean, you're the same age as my mom, so it it can work. I mean, whatever. She could have been my mom. My mom had me as a geriatric pregnancy, so, like, we could work it out. She can be the mom that I'm, like, friends with. (laughs) 
the cool mom. <laughs> the cool mom I'm you friends know Annie with likes that who cool like mom. buys me alcohol and oh. like lets me smoke in in the house or something. It's like you can smoke on the back porch. We have an enclosed porch. It's fine. Just, Just don't make come sure in the, the window's open. Yeah. Close it when you're done. Don't leave the door unlocked. Yeah. We got it. We got to keep it safe. I think her daughters, or at least one of her daughters, has a music career now also. Nice. And they are gorgeous children. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not fucking surprised. gorgeous. Yeah. Not surprised at all. But Well, that's wonderful. I'm really glad. Annie seems to have, like, been someone who has thrown a lot of bullshit and just kind of, like, just dealt with it and yeah. went through it and didn't have, like, such a hard fall that she couldn't come back from it. I just picture her like every time something gets thrown at her that's really shitty and she gets knocked over she just has that like hardened look on her face as she's getting up and like pulls her shirt down dusts off her shoulders is like fine <laughs> and like stomps away <laughs> like in that 80s like robotic stomp yeah that's what i picture oh uh, and she has aged gracefully she looks fantastic yeah. I only hope to God that I can look anywhere near what she looks like at Seriously. 66. Seriously. Annie Lennox, full package. Absolutely. Here for it. Yes. Wonderful way to wrap up Pride. Yes. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our story about Ms. Lennox, if you're nasty. Yeah, definitely a fantastic way to wrap up this Pride Month. Yeah. It might have been shortened a little bit because of our schedule but um i'm happy to have had annie lennox through the whole thing yeah seriously no that was a great story yeah and if you guys want to hear more great stories and this is your first time here you can go visit our website rockcandypodcast.com we've got a lot more episodes so many episodes a lot and we're about the spice girls and lord of the rings yeah 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 but you know if you have suggestions for other artists, like mm-hmm. we've gotten some recently, maybe Ooh. some garbage, mm-hmm. some Dolly Parton. Oh, we're know? doing Dolly Parton. Oh, she Definitely. coming. She, oh, oh, Lord, she coming. Oh, Lord, she coming. So hold on for those ones. But we do love getting suggestions from people. And, you know, pretty much most of the time we'll take them. Yeah. Because we're like, oh, someone wants to hear this? Okay, cool. And sometimes people will give us ideas that we're like, oh, that's a really good idea. Like the Rammstein idea. I was like. Oh, I should learn about that. Yeah. That and then we great. did it. Yeah. So honestly, you email us or message us suggestions. We'll, we'll do, do it. We'll probably do it. It might take us a little bit, but we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're, our schedule's a little full for the next few months, but you know, we can always take we more are ideas. We're definitely putting your suggestions on the list. Yeah. And we're they here. will get done. We hear you. We do. We do. And and we also hear you when you give us money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first and foremost, if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash rock candy podcast. You can give us money every month. Money. Pretty much however much you want. And you can get free bonus episodes. Yeah. We're trying to amp up the bonus, the boner episodes. Yep. We even have a video. That came out a couple weeks ago. We yeah. were tasting Dave Mustaine's wines. <laughs> that was... Great. <laughs> we're gonna have to do another and, one soon. Oh, though. we're definitely gonna be doing more uh musician wine tastings in the near future. Yeah. That's for sure. That'd be fun. But yeah, so we have two new patrons. Yeah, we fucking do. Who <laughs> you get air horns and shout outs. So shout outs to Jeff and yes. Kevin. Thank you so much oh, Jeff for and all Kevin. your monies. Y'all are wonderful. 
Thank you so much, you little baby babies. <laughs> we appreciate it. Yes. You have no idea how much. I mean, honestly. I mean, they might because they gave us money. Yeah, that is. So is, we appreciate it as much as you've yeah. given us. Our appreciation <laughs> is equal to the amount of money that you give to us. <laughs> No, <laughs> no. Wrong. Thank you so much. And you know what? We get it. If you can't afford it and or you just don't even feel like it, that's fine too. Just keep hanging out. You don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to. We're still putting out free content. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all, friendos. So, you know, come on in. We'll be back in two weeks. This is my episode and working hard on that hot, hot research to give you guys the best content. This one's going to be interesting because I don't even know who this person is. I know. I was like, I'm going to do this person. You're like, Okay, shruggy sure. emoji. <laughs> Literally, whatever you want, emoji. Maggie. <laughs> yeah, so come on in in a couple weeks for another episode of the Rock Candy Con- pond- Podcast. <laughs> I was going to say Rock Candy Pontoon. I was going to say Rock Candy Condoms. Rock Candy Condom Pontoon. <laughs> That's, you know what? We're new venture. We're going to Africa. And we're going to bring... In a pontoon boat. With condoms. <laughs> rock candy condoms. Philanthropists for the ages. Yes, indeed. So until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on your crazy kids out there. Hi. Missionary man. <laughs> Missionary man. I was born. <laughs> Original sin. I don't know. <laughs> I, said, I just sound like your dog. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs>